Welcome to Trinity University's Learning Together podcast series. I'm Nathan Cohn, class of 1995, your host. Each episode of this series features faculty, alumni, and other distinguished guests who have established themselves as experts in their fields. And as part of the university's lifelong learning initiative, Learning Together is designed especially for alumni. Eva Poehler, class of 1989, is an adjunct professor at the Department of English at Trinity University. She's also the author of several books for teens and young adults, including titles in The Gatekeeper's Saga and The Vampires of Athens. She's been recognized by USA Today as a best-selling author in 2018. Kara Killinger, a current student of English, will talk with Poehler in the studios of campus radio station KRTU. Hi, my name is Kara Killinger. I'm a junior at Trinity University where I'm majoring in English and minoring in creative writing. Today I'm here with Eva Poehler. She's a Trinity alumna who's written several novels, and I'm going to talk to her a little bit about her books. Eva, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kara. I'm so happy to be here. How does it feel to be back at Trinity? Has it been a while since you've been back? Well, actually, I was on campus not long ago for a faculty meeting. I'm going to be teaching classes uh, here oh, part-time wow. just for fun. I, I taught for over 20 years at UTSA, and um, I retired once my books took off. But mm-hmm. after only a couple of years of not teaching, I began to miss the classroom. And yeah, so absolutely. I reached out to Willis Solomon, and he um, offered me a couple of sections of the first year experience. So I'm thrilled wow. to be doing this because, you know, as a writer, it's such a solitary endeavor. And okay. uh, most of my friends are online and I just yeah. missed real human interaction. For sure. So I was on campus for a meeting with some fellow faculty meeting, uh, fellow faculty in the creative genius first year okay. experience. So I got to see some professors that like Peter Balbert. Uh, who were, you know, I idolized when I was a, I was here from 85 to 89 and he was one of my favorites. And so to have the opportunity to be teaching with him is such a thrill. That's so great. And so as I walked along the campus, I was just full of nostalgia. I could see friends uh, in the faces of the new students that were mine back in the eighties. I could say, oh, that was Paula Raymond. And that was Greg Trafton, and that looks just like Stu, and you know, it was so nostalgic. I really loved my experiences here at Trinity, and it felt like home for four years of my life. I did bring a list of questions, if you want to maybe dive into one of those. Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. Let's start that off. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about your books and your several book series. First, I want to explain that I write in a couple of different genres. I write in mystery suspense, and I also write young adult fantasy. And my mystery suspense books uh, can be divided into two different series or collections. One is more of a thriller, psychological thriller uh, kind of book. Um, And there are three in a mystery book collection, three in what's called the Purgatorium series. And then I have a third coming out in October in a cozy mystery series um, that's about these three empty nesters who go around the country renovating old historical homes and bringing peace to the ghosts that haunt them. And I'm super excited about the third one coming out in October. It's available for pre-order. It's called French Quarter Clues. I just came back from a trip to New Orleans where I interviewed a voodoo high priestess and went on several ghost tours to and really you know, delved into the history of New Orleans so that I could bring a lot of authenticity to the story. And so these three ladies are going to be trying to solve a mystery that has to do with a famous, um, a notorious 
woman who's believed by many to be a serial killer, Delphine LaLaurie, and the most famous voodoo queen of New Orleans, Marie Laveau. And that has been a lot of fun. And I also, my most recent, I guess, release was um, the final book of a very long saga for young adults based on Greek mythology. The book was called Storming Olympus. And the, the series started as a trilogy called the Gatekeepers Trilogy about a teen who becomes involved with the gods when Thanatos, who's the god of death, decides that he wants a chance to go to the upper world for love and adventure. So he makes a deal with Hades. And the deal requires that he help Therese, this uh, 15-year-old girl in Colorado, avenge her parents' murders. And they get the Furies <laughs> as aides to this. So uh, it's, it was a lot of fun to write. But after the first three books, my readers were like, no, it can't be over, which oh, was wow. such a thrill to hear. <laughs> so I continued the series uh, with three more. So there's six books. And then I wrote a prequel. And now there's a spinoff series of three books, Hypnos, uh, Hunting Prometheus, and Storming Olympus. And I think I'm finished, but I did leave a note at the end of the book to readers saying, if you want me to continue on, drop me a note. And I have gotten several emails, but I think I'm going to focus a little bit on the mystery writing for a while. And uh, because I'm really enjoying these um these cozy mysteries and then I'll come back and revisit but that's that's a that gives you an idea I have 22 books out um and it has been it has been such a ride and such a thrill wow so you talked a little bit about like going to New Orleans to like research this book and how your other book series has a lot of Greek mythology in it it's so funny because when you think about fantasy books a lot of times or like mystery things like that fiction in general you don't think about all of the research that has to go into it sometimes but a lot of times that's what makes the book really oh good. yeah and it's part of the fun uh, to me Absolutely. the research you know the uncovering it's almost like being a heroine in your own novel as you uncover all of these ideas yes. doing the research and then that 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 of course influences the course of the novel as you start to learn more things you're like ooh how can i bring this in and oh yeah that'll be so good if i do that you know and it's just a thrilling part of the process is that discovery period of research and so even though um you might think that there would be more of that with the mystery novels that are based in more in reality even though there's a supernatural element they're yeah. definitely based more in reality the urban fantasy or young adult fantasy of the gatekeeper saga and i also have another series called The Vampires of Athens, which is about a teen who goes to study abroad in Athens and discovers that vampires and, and the gods of Greek mythology exist. Wow. And they're about to go to war at e- with each other. And she's made friends. You know, she can understand both sides. And so she gets caught in the middle. But even those types of stories, you know, you're you're going back and you're reading ancient myths and you're trying to find, you know, little details that might not be as well known as others and finding ways to work them in. Mm-hmm. And I was using, since I've never been to Athens, can you believe it here? I write about Athens and I've never been there, but I used a Google search and you can just basically walk through the streets of Athens using like Google street. I mean, yeah, Google street view. That's amazing. And I could walk the Parthenon, you know, I could go everywhere. And so it was still research and it was still fun. It was just a different kind Mm -hmm. of research. We were talking a little bit about like ways to you know, make writing less solitary, make writing, you know, more out in the real world. That's another thing where you're, you don't think about it. You think about just sitting at a desk and writing, but that's like, that's a big part of it too, is going out into the world and, and talking with people. Yes. Um, I, I do. I try to go to every city in the United States that I write about. And yeah. 
Uh, usually it's a trip with my husband or with mm-hmm. a couple of girlfriends. And it is so fun to go explore and go to the different museums and talk to some of the local people and get a real sense of the flavor of the city Definitely. so that it can come across as authentic to my readers, many readers who might even live there, you know. So I need to represent the city for the people who aren't familiar with it. But I also want to be authentic to those who do live there. And, you know, they don't I don't yeah. want to. In fact, the very first story in that Mystery House series takes place in San Antonio. And the house is in the King William District here in San Antonio. And so it was very easy because I've lived here almost my whole entire life. And so I could feel very comfortable writing about it. But I want to bring that same sense of confidence and um, understanding to every single book, not just the one from my own hometown. But you're also also absolutely right that it's an opportunity to be a little more social Mm -hmm. by reaching out and interviewing people and and like what we're doing here today. (laughs) Definitely. I used to think um, that writing always had to be a solitary activity. And then I started with the Trinitonian and it's just like you're always meeting with people. You're always doing research. And it's a really, really fun experience to like get to tell other people's stories. And I mostly do that in a really direct way. But I think fiction, uh, there's a unique opportunity to do it like in an indirect way. We have the freedom to change things around a lot. Absolutely. Not that there isn't quite a lot of solitary time. I, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to come back and teach at Trinity, because yes. once I retired from UTSA, I found myself wearing my pajamas all day long as I wrote. <laughs> and then when I'd take my shower, I would just put on a clean pair of pajamas. Oh my goodness. And I was starting to feel a little bit like a blob. Yeah. And <laughs> it's not a great feeling, even if you are doing work all day. Yeah, I mean, at like, first it was amazing. It's like my dream, you know, but then it was like, yeah. I got to get out of the house. For sure. <laughs> so when you're like traveling across the country, going on these vacations, do you find that you're usually partially planning out the book that you're writing or having an idea before you go to the place to research it? Or do you sometimes go to a new place and just think, I have to write about this or meet someone and think, I have to make this into a plot? An excellent question, because both happen. Just to give you an example, I hadn't planned to write the second Mystery House uh, series book in Tulsa. But when my friend invited me to Tulsa for her daughter's wedding, I started doing research while I was there and uncovered something that I didn't know and that I found out not many people do seem to know was that the worst race riot in American history occurred in Tulsa in 1921. I'd always thought of Tulsa as just this boring oil town. I mean, who would write? I couldn't imagine, you know, writing a mystery story about Tulsa. But when I went there and uncovered the rich history and found out all of this information that I that wasn't all that available to me for some reason growing up, I was um, entranced. And so that was an example of how just being there in a city and suddenly being sparked with inspiration. But most of the time, like when I went to New Orleans and I'm going to be making a trip up to Portland, uh, probably sometime in the spring or, Mm. or, you know, in January, it's because I need to go there for research. I've already decided that that's the town. And but before I decide on the town, I've done a lot of research online and I've I've found some very interesting tidbits of information about a town's history, and that's what's mm-hmm. pulled me there. Yeah. So have you ever thought about writing nonfiction about, because like, so you're so into research, or are you just really in love with the genres that you're in now? I really love putting my little spin on everything. Yeah. Um, I like to bring my own interpretation of what might have happened. Like, for example, mm-hmm. in the French Quarter Clues, I'm hoping to take what is a notorious serial killer or what's considered to be a notorious serial killer 
and humanize her and and show what might have motivated her to do the things that she did and how legend and lore may have twisted some of the truth. And I've already uncovered quite a bit of information, like the fact that her third husband was abusive and he was also a doctor who experimented. And so these stories that she was the one that had chopped up the slaves and reattached them and all kinds of crazy um, you know, I, I don't understand why she would be the primary suspect when her husband was a doctor who conducted medical experiments. Wow. And so it's been fun to to kind of in that novel, try to take what is a preconceived notion of a notorious character and try to redefine her in my own way, which Definitely. I might not be able to do if I had to base it solely on facts. Yeah. I have to be able to, mm-hmm. you know, bring in my own ideas. So. Uh, some of your books are strongly influenced by Greek mythology. That's um, probably a lot of like research online. But you said you were also, you've just been interested in myths since you were a kid. Since yes. You were in junior high. Yes. When I was in the sixth grade, my English teacher had a book about Greek mythology. And we had silent reading time. And I just ate yeah. that book up. And then the first time Sweet. we've got our, you know, our book club form to fill out I ordered Edith Hamilton's mythology and fell in love and have been in love and enamored with Greek mythology ever since and so when it came time to decide what is the first book that I'm going to try to get published at the time Rick Rorden's uh, Percy Jackson series had been doing really well still does really well but I noticed that that it was written for Uh, middle grade aged children Um, by middle grade I mean like seven to twelve and there weren't very many stories based on Greek mythology for the next group 13 to 18 and so I thought well since I love Greek mythology and and he's already spurred this major love of Greek mythology Mm -hmm. and young people and since there doesn't seem any place for them to go after Percy Jackson because he hadn't yet published some of his other works that are for older uh readers um i decided that would be it and i had just watched a movie that had been making me think a lot it was with brad pitt and anthony hopkins and it was called meet joe black did you ever see that movie no i didn't it's about death wanting an opportunity to come and learn from one of the smartest cleverest kindest men uh who was 60 years old and he'd been a very successful man he wanted to come and learn from him and in doing and, and as a like a part of his bargain, he was going to give him another year because he was, you know, like fated to die on his 60th birthday. Yeah. And he said, if you, you know, help me, if you let me uh, come and learn about life from you, I'll give you a little longer and I'll make it just so that it's not painful. Or I don't remember exactly all the details, but I started I started to wonder, you know, because there were a lot of unanswered questions. As good as that movie was, I had a lot mm-hmm. of unanswered questions and I thought, what if death? from Greek mythology, what if Thanatos wanted to come and have a chance at love and adventure in the oh upper world, you know? <laughs> and, and if I geared it more to a young adult audience rather than, because yeah. Brad Pitt's movie was really for adults, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's where it all started. That's where the Gatekeeper Saga started. And I just kept reading more and more myth- mythology, you know, going to the ancient myths and finding ways to weave them in. And one thing that was important to me in this series, I don't know if as a child you ever saw uh, Disney's version of Hercules, an animated yes. motion picture. Okay, yeah, do you remember how Hades was portrayed with the blue fiery hair? Yeah. <laughs> okay, he was a cool character, but that isn't Definitely. really how Hades is portrayed in most of the ancient myths. He's yeah. really a just God, not mm-hmm. this cruel, vicious, 
I think that uh, the idea of Satan or Lucifer from Christian uh, ideas has been conflated with this yeah. idea of Hades, and he's been made into a more satanic figure in some more modern retellings. And so I wanted to write a series that defended Hades as this just and good God. He's actually yeah. one of the very few gods that never cheated on his wife. You know, you hear nice. about Zeus, he has been with just about, you know, everyone. Yeah, true. Um, and and also Poseidon, he yeah. practiced, mm-hmm. I mean, some stories say he raped Medusa and oh that's why uh, in Athena's temple and that's yeah. why she was turned into this horrible monster by Athena, which seems unfair to go after the victim instead of mm-hmm. after the perpetrator. But anyway, I wanted to write a story that defended Hades and his underworld family. That's really interesting. And it's been so much fun. So in the gatekeeper saga, Hades, the gatekeeper refers to Hades. Okay. And so the gatekeeper's sons, I made Hypnos and Thanatos, who are fraternal twins, the sons of God and sleep, of death and sleep, uh, his sons, and the Furies, his daughters. And then you meet another character, a more mysterious character called Melano, that is also um, part of that underworld family. And it was just a blast. That sounds really fascinating. Have you ever read um, uh, The Book Thief by Marcus Suzanne? Yes. Like narrated by death. That reminds me of um, the whole, you know, thinking of death as not like necessarily this evil force. Yes. Just kind of a guy who has a really hard job and has to deal with it. That's really fascinating. It's really thoughtful. Yes. And in my story, even though that book came out much af- much later than when I wrote my story, I okay, did create yeah. this almost innocent and tortured death who mm-hmm. has been in this dutiful servant to Hades his entire life. You know, he just his goal, his job is to fair, take the souls um, mm-hmm. as they pass and take them to Charon who is the ferryman of the dead, and then see them through judgment to their final resting place. And he's there to comfort these souls. And he has not had any chance to live a life of his own, unlike his brother Hypnos, who is the god of sleep, and he gets to have fun in the dream world all the time and do what he wants with everybody. You know, he flirts with girls and has romances. And even though it's the dream world, it's not the real upper world. He's still having a good time, whereas Thanatos has really got the raw end of the deal you know and so he's he's very uh, much more serious than his brother hypnos he's much more um tortured and he's uh, very uh sweet actually you know he he's Mm -hmm. about it's all about comforting the souls it's not about like robbing someone of life because in Greek mythology and and in my series too, the fates are the ones that determine a person's death not hades not thanatos they're just carrying out the responsibilities of of caring for these souls once they do pass. Yes. Hello, this is Danny Anderson, president of Trinity University. Thank you for listening to the Learning Together podcast series brought to you by Trinity's Office of Alumni Relations and Development and produced here on campus by our friends at KRTU 91.7 FM. We're so glad you tuned in today and we appreciate your continued support of lifelong learning at Trinity University. Welcome back to the Learning Together podcast from Trinity University. I'm Nathan Cohn. Let's return to the conversation between Eva Poehler and Kara Killinger. Well, I mentioned that when I was in the eighth grade um, that I fell in love with Greek mythology and then I also fell in love with writing. But what really got me into writing was I had an uncle who had just taken an intro to lit class and he gave me his anthology when the class was over. 
and it was Introduction to Literature, Perrine's Introduction to Literature, and I read it from cover to cover multiple times because I was in love with these poems and plays and short stories and novels, and I just, I just, I knew this is what I wanted to do, and yeah. uh, I just started kind of trying to write my own tales and making my own plays and my own poems and just kept at it and was convinced that I was going to be a writer one day. Um, now my dad at the time, he had, for some reason he was hung up on me becoming a doctor. So he used to always say, you know, you are going to be a doctor one day, aren't you Eva? I was going to come. In fact, when I came to Trinity, I started pre-med. Um, but, and my idea was that I would be like Anton Chekhov. I would be a medical doctor, but I would write on the side, you know? Okay. But, uh, after a couple of years here, as great as the teachers were, I remember Nancy Mills and biology. I, I loved her. Mm -hmm. I just organic and inorganic chemistry. I just never did very well and I gotcha. was I was like I don't think this is my calling I've heard those classes are very intense whereas my English classes they were so much fun and I felt yeah. I just really thrived in those classes Definitely. and so I just continued to take classes not really sharing what sure what I was going to do with an English degree um, and then I went on to get a master's degree after mm -hmm. finishing here I got my master's at St. Mary's University and then from there, I thought, well, now what am I going to do? And I really, after being at St. Mary's and seeing, because I worked for the law faculty there and seeing the kind of lifestyle the professors had there, mm -hmm. they taught, you know, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they could not have to be there until nine or 10 o'clock. Mm -hmm. You know, they just seemed to have this amazing lifestyle all for the summer. And I thought, that's what I want. <laughs> so I decided to pursue my Ph.D. in English at Texas Tech University. And it was mm -hmm. not long after that that I um finished my dissertation and received the PhD and um, started teaching at different universities and finally, including here at Trinity as an mm -hmm. adjunct, but then finally found a full-time position at UTSA. And, um, but all that time that I was teaching literature, I was also writing. Mm -hmm. I never gave up. And I finally took the plunge in 2013 I finally decided it's time to start submitting books and getting things yeah. out there. And um, I haven't looked back since. So you self-published most of your books. Correct? All of my books are okay. self-published. And it was a scary decision back in 2013 to do that. I'm glad you asked that question. Um, because I had been submitting manuscripts to editors and agents. And I'd been getting close to what I thought was a deal. I had mm -hmm. one very famous agent asked for some revisions, but by the time I finished them and got them back to her, she kind of had moved on and it broke okay. my heart. But yeah. uh, eventually I, I decided to do it. And back then there was a terrible stigma on self-publishing and I was worried I was going to ruin my chances in my career. But yeah. now more and more traditional authors are doing the self-publishing route yeah. because you have so much more control over your publication schedule, over your content, mm -hmm. you make more money. Uh, so it's risky in that, if you don't know what you're doing, you could end up not being discovered by readers and going nowhere. But if you can assemble the right team, the right editor, the right cover designer, a publicist, you know, you mm -hmm. can really do it. You can make a career for yourself. And so um, it's been a wonderful, wonderful ride. Do you ever have any trouble with just all of the responsibility that that gives you? Like you have to do marketing, all of the things that a traditional publisher would do for you, you're having to tell people about your books and get publicity and things like that. Did you, well, how has that been for you? You know, that's actually a misunderstanding uh, for most readers that traditional authors have um, marketing um, 
companies behind them or the traditional publishers doing all this marketing. Only the really top people, like we mentioned, Rick Rorden, okay. um, get a lot of um, support with book tours and mm-hmm. publicity uh, campaigns. Most traditional authors have to do all that marketing, too. Okay. And so it's something that every author is going to have to embrace yeah. if they want to make a, you know, a modest living out of it or, okay. or better. And, and I happen to enjoy it. Not all authors do. Many authors hire uh, a virtual assistant or mm-hmm. a personal assistant to do a lot of the marketing for them. Yes. Uh, or they use a publicist. Um, but I actually enjoy the marketing in yeah. too. I find it, you know, when I need a break from the writing, it's another way to be creative. I like making graphics and um, posting them on social media. And I like personally uh, talking to people on social media. Um, I'm a very social person. And so, you know, like I said, sitting at home, writing and feeling alone, I like to go on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and communicate mm-hmm. with my readers and fellow authors. It's just another way to make writing less solitary. That's exactly right. To maybe close out the podcast, do you have any advice for writers in general or maybe Trinity students studying English who are trying to figure out what to do with their lives and things like that. Well, for the writers out there, I would say there are so many wonderful books on craft, and I highly recommend John Gardner's The Art of Writing. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a couple of books by Donald Mass that talk about plotting, uh, like the breakout novel. Stephen King wrote an article also on writing that I found very helpful. And uh, there's a book called Story by, I think, Robert McKee that was also helpful to me. But reading as much as you can about craft and mm-hmm. reading books in the genre that you want to write, know that you can't write a book that appeals to everyone because, um, you know, you, that's what I tried to do mm-hmm. with one book that I had to rewrite a million times because I was trying to appeal to so many. You have to pick that target market mm-hmm. and write for that reader. Um, and practice, practice, practice. There are There's a San Antonio Writers Guild that you could join to find critique partners or you can find critique partners online. I did... Mm-hmm critique partnering for many years before I even sent anything out. Um, And I just think trying to refine that craft is the most important thing that you can possibly do. And then for people who are majoring in English and not sure what to do, I have discovered that actually many jobs, uh, many companies are interested in finding good writers. My husband works for the Department of HUD, and he tells me all the time that he wishes that, you know, um, people had more education in writing Mm -hmm because they have to do so much correspondence on a regular basis. And so English majors can thrive in almost any environment. And uh, so know that, um, you know, majoring in English, you still have a lot of options available to you. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've got to say, I found that a lot recently. I used to think I was never going to get a job as an English major, but I have a summer internship and I've realized that I actually have some Quite a few marketable skills from Trinity just being halfway through. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to me for this podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you, Kara. Thanks for listening to the Learning Together podcast. I'm Nathan Cohn. Today's episode was recorded and produced by Trinity University's KRTU radio station for the Office of Alumni Relations and Development. New podcasts will be released on the last Friday of each month. For more information about our Learning Together podcast series or to suggest a topic for a future episode, please email us at alumnipodcast at trinity.edu.